Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. We're in week nine of our series through the book of Revelation. Chapters 14 through 16 give us a front row seat to the seven bold judgments in Armageddon. Enjoy the message. We're going to begin to talk about that last battle uh, at the end of Revelation. We're going to be in Revelation. We're going to start in Revelation chapter 14. Uh, we're going to talk about Armageddon. And no, we're not talking about the 1999 movie starring Ben, I think it was Ben Affleck, right? And so, no, we're not talking about that. We're talking about Armageddon uh, in the Bible. Revelation, by the way, was written by the Apostle John. So let me just kind of, let's refresh ourselves here, uh, what Revelation's all about. Revelation was written by the Apostle John after all the other apostles were put to death. Uh, all the other apostles, uh, they lived for Jesus and they died for Jesus. The Apostle John, however, he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos where he was boiled in acid, all right? So uh, it is, his life uh, also had some hardships as well. The book of Revelation was written to the seven churches uh, in modern-day Turkey, and it was to warn them of the second coming of Christ. Now, this was about 2,000 years ago, okay? And so this serves not only a warning to the seven churches, it serves as a warning to every church since then, our church today, and any church that comes after until Jesus Christ comes back. In chapter 4, John speaks of being caught up in a vision in heaven by the Holy Spirit. And heaven will kind of serve as our, our, our base camp, per se. Uh, uh, the place where oftentimes before we go into the next section of the future, uh, we will see these scenes in heaven. And we'll see another one of those today as well. So in chapter 4, John speaks about being caught up in a vision in heaven. Uh, and then in the writing style from chapter 4 onward is written in apocalyptic language. This is language uh, that is very descriptive. Uh, we, God could have given us the end times as if you're reading the newspaper. All right? Very just as a matter of fact. But God didn't just want to give us facts. God wanted us uh, to not just know something, he wanted it to go to the heart, to transform our lives and for us to be ready. So often when John would see these things in the future, uh, he, would all, he would speak in apocalyptic language, but he would also have a hard time describing what he was seeing. And I can imagine if the end times is even, uh, even just five years from now, let alone maybe 100 years, 1,000 years from now, well, we would have a hard time describing it. Well, John is describing this in AD 90, what he's seeing what has yet to come even for us. And so often he's having a hard time describing, and so that you have to put that into your, interp your interpretative lens as well, too. And so what we see is dramatic images of apocalyptic language, of flames, rainbows, and thrones, and they all have deep meaning. And so Revelation can be a very hard book. Sometimes people avoid it because it's hard, but we are told in Revelation, blessed is the person who reads these words out loud. The book of Revelation, uh, again, uh, when people uh, approach it, uh, they often uh, want to go to it with the idea of when and how. When is Jesus Christ coming back and how will he come back? And Revelation does give us clues to that, but that is not the point of this book. Uh, where people spend the majority of their time trying to figure out the date and time and, and method of how Jesus is going to come back. They miss the overarching purpose of this book. And the overarching purpose of this book is the who and the why. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about him coming back. And Jesus, indeed, is coming back. And why is he coming back? To redeem a broken and fallen world and all of those that have said yes to Jesus and to judge a world that says no to the things of Jesus. And so we need to be ready. Yes, we can talk about uh, how he's coming back. That's fun to uh, maybe 
speculate for just a second, but when we are focused on when Jesus is going to come back exclusively, it's led to a lot of fringe ideas, fringe theologies, and fringe practices. And today we're living in a polarized society, a society that's angry, a society that, 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 uh, that wants their way, a society that will do anything to get their way. And we see this in one side of the polarized society uh, where they want to deny Christ that he's going to come back at all. They, they want to believe in the humanity of people. They, they believe that humanity is our salvation. We see this in our society today. We, we see this seeping into the church where the humanities is our salvation. It's not our salvation. Uh, this, this side believes that Jesus may not have even existed or they believe that maybe Jesus didn't raise from the dead but Jesus is just a, or the concept of Jesus is just a good example. If you hear anything like that, that is heresy. It's heresy. On the other end, uh, we see people that they are saying they know ex the exact day of when Jesus is coming back. They're like, oh, Andy, you know what? I, I've heard of this guy on YouTube. This guy on YouTube that he has given the exact date. It's in September of this year. Hey, I've even heard that in this church. I want you to know I don't spend a second on that. And if somebody's spending a moment on this September date coming up and it's right, it's because they guessed and they happen to be right. A clock that's dead is right, what, two times a day, right? So I sh I'm sure people are like, I knew it. I knew the date. Well, good guess, because you don't know the date or time. It leads you to fringe thinking, and Jesus said, don't do it. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 24, 26. He said, now concerning that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except for the Father alone. Revelation, again, is not about the when, it's not, about, it's not about how he's going to come back. It's about the who and the why. Jesus is coming back. We need to be ready. Our hearts need to be ready. Our souls need not to be distracted or entertaining sin in our own ways. And we need to stop playing games. Why? Because Jesus could come back at any moment. And when he comes back, we will all stand before him. We need to be ready. And Jesus said we must follow him, period. The, the problem is... Even in the church world, we like to do it our own way. We like to modify his words. We like to do things that seem right in our own eyes. But if we're people of the book, church, are, are we Bible Christians? Are we? Yes or no? Do we follow his word? Do we follow it to a T? If we're Bible Christians, we cannot modify his word. We can't do it the way that we want to do it. For people by the book, we must live by the book. And this is why studying Revelation is so important. People avoid it because of all the abuses of Revelation or the misunderstanding of it. Amongst the, all the chaos in life and the fog of the now, we are told, and Revelation reminds us, we must set our sights on the end. We must be end-time Christians, not that we focus on all the, the weird fringe things, but the reality that Jesus Christ is coming back. And we need to reorient our entire lives with that. We need to be ready, every aspect of our minds, every aspect of our hearts. We need to be ready that Jesus Christ can come back at any moment. And we need to live our lives in accordance to that. God has a plan, but the problem is we are very distracted people. Wouldn't you agree? We live in a society that we are very, very distracted. This is our main point this morning as we get into Armageddon. God has a purpose. We have a problem. Write that down. God has a purpose. We have a problem. God's purpose is for you to know him personally, 
But we have all, we have all sinned and we have fallen short of God's glory. Uh, the beautiful thing is, is even though we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard, that means that you can't get to God through good works, okay? You can't get to God by trying to prove yourselves. But while we were yet sinners, all of us have a history of sin. All of us have fallen short. All of us are wretched people, according to what Scripture says. We like to think that we are born good and that we don't need God or we just need God on the side. We are all spiritually bankrupt. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen, church? And everyone who places their faith and trust in Christ alone, the Bible says, will have eternal life. And as a result, Jesus Christ is coming back to take back his children. Woo, I cannot wait for that, but we must be ready. Jesus has a plan. His plan is for your salvation. His plan is, while he's coming back for your growth, just as our main mission statement here at Kenosha City Church is this, is that we want to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's coming back for you. He's coming back for me. And we need to be able to stand before him and not shudder knowing that we are children of God. We waste a lot of time Focusing on our life now instead of looking at the later. A few years back, as my family went to Disney World, we got a really, really good deal uh, because it's, it was in the height of the pandemic. Uh, it, it was the time at Disney World where you had to wear masks everywhere outside, including in the rain. That was the worst because in Florida, you get a massive torrential rainstorm every day. And so when we had the rainstorm, our masks are falling off. The employee's like, put your mask back on. It's in two pieces, right? Like, uh, it, it, but it was cheap. It was cheap, so after the chaos of Disney, Allison's always like, hey, you know what? We need to go to the beach. I'm like, it's 60 degrees out. We're going to the beach. I'm like, okay, we're going to the beach. So we went to Daytona Beach, and I found out while we were there uh, that Elon Musk was going to launch a rocket into space. I thought, oh, this is awesome. So the morning that they were going to launch the rocket into space, I said, Allison, do you want to get up and you want to watch this rocket go up? And you know what you said, didn't you, honey? Yeah, he's like, uh-uh, nope, I'm sleeping. I'm like, you're sleeping? This is awesome. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to go to the kids' room. We're going to go down to the beach. We're going to watch this thing. So I go up to my daughter, Ed, and I say, hey, Edda. And she goes, what? I was like, do you want to see a spaceship with astronauts going to space? No. I'm like, you're just like your mom, all right? And, and then I woke up the boys, and they're like, yes, let's go look for it. And so we went down to the beach, and we went uh, to go see uh, we went to go see uh, what we were hoping to be a successful launch. And so I went out to the beach, and there's this big group of people. And they said, uh, I asked them, I was like, where, where should we be looking? They said, that platform way down there. We're in Daytona, but Cape Canaveral was, you know, about 45, 50 minutes away. So you're going to be able to see this little dot that hopefully you'll be able to, hopefully it'll fly over Daytona. Sometimes it does, and, you know, we might get lucky. And I thought, oh, that's cool. So I, I pointed my eyes and my kids' eyes towards Cape Canaveral, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited. And you know what happens when you end up waiting a long time? I don't know about you, but I know what I start doing. You start daydreaming. You, 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 start, you start getting distracted, right? You start talking about all these other things that have nothing to do uh, with, with what you're there for, all right? 
But I'm like, I'm not missing this thing. But I realized this, this big group of people that told me what direction to look, they got so bored, they weren't looking in a straight row looking towards Cape Canaveral. They started to circle up and talk about everything but that launch. I think by the time the launch happened, they started fighting about a baseball game, all right? And so they aren't even focusing on why they were there. And all of a sudden, I began to see this little dot go up, go up into space. But they weren't seeing it because they were distracted. And when it was so cool, as this dot went over, it started heading over Daytona Beach. I'm like, oh, this is really awesome. And as it was heading over Daytona Beach, the sun was getting ready to go over the horizon line, which means it began to light up the sky in such a way that it created an aura that was amazing, where people around that have been watching space shuttle launches for their entire lives in Florida said, this is the best launch I've ever seen. And I was in awe. In fact, go ahead and put the picture up there. Do we have the picture? All right. I don't know if we do or not. We don't. Oh, okay. So you're going to have to, second service, you're going to have to return. You're going to see this awesome picture, all right? So uh, anyway, um, but what's absolutely amazing about this is that it lit up the whole sky. And I had to get back on my back and take a picture of it. And, and, I was, and, and when you see something so amazing, I, I've heard that you just begin to laugh because you're full of so much joy. I was literally witnessing the coolest thing since the birth of my kids and the marriage to my wife, something happening in the sky. And I began to laugh I'm like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And, and in the picture, if you were to just visualize this, I got the silhouette of my kids and the spaceship going into space and the aura of it going outside the atmosphere, filling the entire sky. It was absolutely amazing. But you know who missed almost all of it until the end? The people that told me what direction it was going to happen. They were still fighting about baseball. Mm, that preaches, doesn't it? You know, we need to be ready for the end, but how often are we distracted in the waiting? How often are we distracted in the now that we get involved with everything else that takes our focus off the Lord? It takes our focus off the cross. It takes our focus off his second coming. And so uh, there was a distraction there, but I also, my wife and my, and my daughter, they were sleeping. Oh, that preaches too. Sometimes we get so tired uh, of what's going on. Sometimes we're either distracted or we're asleep. We don't want any of that, do we? God has a purpose, and we have a problem. And by the way, it's okay that you slept. Etta admits now. She tells people in her story that she was there. We'll let her think that, all right? Anyway, so we need to be ready. God has a plan. He has a perfect plan, but we often have a problem with it. And today we're going to look at the beginning of the end of these judgments. We, we talked about the first set of judgments. In fact, we'll go ahead and put up the summary of the judgments that we've talked about, if we have those. Um, there we are. And so we have the, 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 the seven seals of Revelation. We have the seven trumpets. That's the day of the Lord. These are the different progressive judgments that the Lord has put over the world in a period called the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation has not happened yet. This is a future seven-year period where God will bring out three, uh, uh, three series of seven judgments uh, over the earth uh, on those who are on the earth at the time. Now, I believe there's differing views on this, and this is okay. I believe that God is going to take the church before the first judgment happens. That's called the rapture. He's going to take the church up. He's going to protect the church. 
all those who are, yes, I'm using this term for those who've been in the church world for a while, all those who are left behind uh, will be facing uh, progressive, severe judgments. Now, people will give their life to Christ during this time, but those who give their life to Christ during this time will have to face the wrath of a one-world government ran by an antichrist who will kill people for their faith. So most people will be martyred who give their life to Christ uh, during this seven-year tribulation. And so today we're going to go into uh, a third set uh, and the final set of judgments called the bull judgments. These judgments serve as a warning to get right with God. So today they serve as a warning to us that if there's any area of our life that is not submitted to the, to the lordship of Jesus Christ, uh, if you have not given your life to Jesus Christ this morning, these are a warning, give your life to Christ. Get right with Christ. And so God has a purpose, we have a problem. So three things that we need to understand this morning is we will all face God. We will all face God. Second thing we'll, we'll learn is in Christ, you're already triumphant. And the third and final thing, without Christ, you will face wrath. So let's take a look at our first one. If you're taking notes, write this down. Is that we will all face God. We will all face God. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying overhead with the eternal gospel to announce to the inhabitants of the earth, to every tribe, nation, language, and people. He spoke with a loud voice. He said, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship the one who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. This scene is heaven and we see angels flying overhead with what is called the eternal gospel. The eternal gospel uh, is the same gospel that is preached throughout the ages. Another way that we could put this is the forever gospel. It's the same gospel that's preached throughout the scriptures. It's the same gospel that has been entrusted to you and I during this age before Christ has come back. There is no different gospel. It's a forever gospel that Jesus Christ has come to redeem us. Jesus Christ has come to, to, to take who is dead, and that is all of us without Christ, and make us alive in Jesus Christ. This is the only gospel we need. But unfortunately, even today what I see progressively in the church, and church, I want to warn us on this, is that churches are falling right and left to a false gospel. It's a gospel of Jesus plus something else. Even some churches are taking Jesus completely out and saying we are our own salvation. So for instance, a false gospel you may hear is Jesus plus works. You may have grown up that way where, okay, I need, to, I need Jesus. I need to place my faith and trust in Jesus, but I also need to do good works or I need to be baptized or I need to prove myself in some way. All right? If you think that this morning that you need Jesus plus something else, that is a false gospel. Another false gospel that, is, that has come up in, increasingly in the last five years is Jesus plus a social gospel. Uh, that, that is where we believe that, that, that Jesus is, is good, but we also need to bring our humanities to the forefront. We need to make sure that we are the cure to, 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 the, culturals, uh, to the cultural ills. And I'm going to tell you is that, is that the church did not come to be just another 501c3. The church came with the gospel. And we either believe the gospel changes everything or we don't. Church, does the gospel change everything? Without a heart change, we're just putting a Band-Aid on a festering wound that will bleed out. 
We need the gospel and gospel alone, which then changes hearts, which then changes mindsets. It changes the way that you treat people. It changes the way that you go about situations. It, go, it changes the way that culture and family operates. What about Jesus plus politics? Ooh, ooh right? Jesus plus politics. Listen, I believe, people like Andy, people ask me all the time, Andy, who do you vote for? I'll never tell you who I vote for, but I'll tell you this right now. I will never vote for somebody who does not defend the sanctity of the unborn. Amen? And I'm sorry if that's controversial, that's biblical, all right? People are like, oh, I didn't think you were going to talk politics. That's not politics. People have made it political, okay? But I want to tell you this. I want to put that out there. Jesus plus politics has been a festering wound in the church. A festering wound. People, whether it's on the left or the right, people thought Obama was going to be the savior. People thought Donald Trump was going to be the savior. And people even prophesied that Donald Trump was going to have a second term. I hope all those prophets have been defrocked. Every single one of them. They're false prophets. Quit defending them, okay? And the reason why people go to great lengths to want to have a political savior is because they forgot about who citizens that we are. We're the citizens of King Jesus. All hail King Jesus, right? Now, that doesn't mean that you can't be involved in the political process. I think Christians should be. It doesn't mean that I hear people say you don't legislate your morality. Okay, then murder can't be illegal. Of course we legislate what we think is morally correct. Of course you should vote for the person who best aligns with that. But our politicians, Washington, D.C., the U.N., those things are not our hope. The hope is Jesus Christ, and the nations will not be great without Jesus Christ being the Lord of your life. All right, I'm enough of that. I'm off script. Jesus plus progressivism. Man, there are people deconstructing their faith right and left. And what happens is they take the caboose of human emotions and they put it before the truth of Jesus Christ in the word. Progressive Christianity is a cancer to the Bible. Progressive Christianity, I'm not, when I mean we're progressive, I'm like I didn't think you were getting political. No, progressive Christianity is this. It's not, it's, it's, it may have a similar word to politics, but progressive Christianity is those that progress from what is called orthodoxy in scripture and move into something different. And what happens is, is progressive Christianity is looking at every biblical verse, every biblical experience, every church through a new lens that is anti-biblical. And so progressive Christianity is a cancer. It is taking Gen Z and Gen Alpha, which is the generation after Z, uh, it is eating them alive. And the way that you prevent yourself from becoming a progressive Christian is don't listen to crummy podcasts and stay in the word of the Lord. It's the gospel plus nothing. It's Jesus Christ who saves. Amen? The gospel's at rescue where you find yourself from your past or present far from God, but Jesus Christ offers his hand and says you are forgiven. Jesus Christ offers his hand, and it's, word, it's this biblical word called propitiation, where you pass from death into life, and he no longer remembers anything. What he remembers is this, what he did on the cross for you. We will all face God. The Bible says it's appointed once for a person to die, then they face judgment. And again, I go back to the question of the whole series. Are you ready? 
And we see here the angel is holding that eternal gospel and announces to the entire world, every tribe, every language, the people, get ready for the judgment has come. And as a result, we need to worship the one. Now, why does God need to judge? I've mentioned this before in previous messages, but why does God need to judge? I mean, justice is of great concern in our nation and world today. It's become a great buzzword. And usually when people think of justice, uh, they think of it as a, a cultural collective of agreed about terms. They, they will take it to the streets and they will shout their desired outcome. That's often why you see protesters. protest this weekend right now of people that are pro-abortion. Uh, I literally saw a sign. Uh, usually you see signs saying save the babies or, or you know, or, or, you know a ban abortion. I literally saw a sign yesterday. It said save abortion, right? And they're shouting it. And they believe it. And they want it to be loud enough to where you believe, I guess this is where the heart of the nation is. Who am I to tell them? All right? So people will shout the loudest, and that's what they think justice is. But shouting the loudest doesn't mean it's the majority, right? But even the majority, even if a majority of people said a certain thing is moral, doesn't make it moral. Uh, we know this by drug legalization. We know this by increased gambling. We know this by a number of things that people will go to the booth, they'll vote something in, and they're like, well, I guess it's fine now. It's legal. Paul says just because it's legal does not mean it's beneficial. You know what's justice? What the Lord God Almighty thinks of something and what the Lord God Almighty says to do about that something that's what is justice. What does God think about it? And whatever God thinks about it, follow it. That is justice. Living within his revealed word. And when we break the justice of God, we're under a sentence of God's wrath. And this goes for everyone. This goes for anyone and everyone. For the wages of sin is death, spiritual death. We have all fallen short. But today the thought of God judging anyone or anyone going to a place called hell, which we will talk about in a few weeks, it seemed old-fashioned, or God is charged by some progressive biblical thinkers as being an angry, outdated tyrant. I've even read blog spots where people, pastors, have called the God that we've preached a monster. God is not a monster. God is just. Why would God send a good person to hell, someone may ask? Why would you shower wrath down on the earth during the book of Revelation? Why are we even talking about this? It's because without justice, heaven would not be heaven. Without justice, going into the presence of God would not be a blessing. It'd be earth 2.0 with all our brokenness, shame, and sin. Sin is an affront to the holiness of Almighty God. It's treason against his character. And what we think is no big deal, it's treason against God. J.R. Packer, he summarizes it this way. He says, God's wrath in the Bible, it's never self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger often is. The reason why we can't execute God's judgment is because we are such fallen people. The problem with judging God as being a monster is where do we get the very concept of justice? You thought about that? It's just like evolution, where people are like, well, you know, the world came from a big bang. The biggest question that will never be answered is, where did all the matter come with the big bang? And people are like, uh, it just, I've heard people say, it just self-creates. Okay, right. And so it's the same way when it comes with our morality. If you want to be an atheist today, maybe you're an atheist in this room. If you, if you want to be a humanist before a, a, a Bible Christian, uh, what you're going to do is you're going to say, you know what, the way that we come up with morality has nothing to do with God. But where did you get the idea of morality? Where did you get the idea of justice? It's not some cultural construct. Why? Because why in every sustainable culture is murder, stealing, bearing false witness? Why are these things seen as wrong? 
It's because God has written a conscience of morality on our hearts. So why is it that if we are not seekers of God, that our cultures are not singing collectively kumbaya, why is that? It's because we suppress the truth of the gospel in our hearts and we want to uplift the humanities of what we think is our strengths. We are true suppressors, according to Romans 1.18. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godliness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them, for his invisible attributes, that is eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. We are not naturally seekers of God, but we love to seek our own will. Can we admit that this morning? We love to seek our own will. And that's why we need to die daily to ourselves and say, come, Lord Jesus. May I be an advancer of your kingdom. Come, Lord Jesus. Life is too short. The stakes are too high. It is by your grace I will stand ready to engage with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to defeat the dark spiritual forces over the city and over this world. We won't stop until the whole world knows the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? But I don't naturally, and you don't naturally seek the spirit of God. We need to ask God, come, Lord Jesus. Will you be our strength this morning? Instead of being natural seekers of God's truth, we are natural-born self-expressors. Romans 1.22 says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore God delivered them over to the desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator, who is praised forever. Amen. As human beings, we want to do it our own way. Instead of worshiping the almighty God, we want to make angels, or excuse me, idols for ourselves. I guess that's true. Angels, is, false angels are demons, right? We want to make idols for ourselves. Now, some of you are like, I don't got no idol. I don't know anybody has an idol. I mean, I know back in the Roman times, they'd go to idol shops, and they put this household idol down, right? There's Zeus, right? All right, he's, he's number one. It's like, I don't think any of you have Zeus. The closest thing you might have is you might have like a little tiki guy from Hawaii. Oh, yeah, they thought that was God at one time. All right, so it was like, really? Yeah, there you go. Sorry, I ruined it. But anyway, like idols, we aren't worshiping idols literally of stone. Maybe some of you have. I don't know. Let me know. But we make idols into anything in our life that we hold of equal or more value than God. And I'm going to say that even an almost idol is not a good thing. God should be here. Whatever else in this life should be down here. And whatever else is down here, it should be your, it should be if your spouse, if it's your spouse, it, it should be your, your, if you have kids, right? Uh, it, should be your, it should be your church, right? It, it, should, it should be a number of things. And then your hobbies are down there. It, some should be like, here's God and here, here's my idol. But we are idol makers. We are idol factories. It could be football. It could be your car. It could be your suit of money. It could even be good things like your family. Anything. And today's idols do whatever makes you happy just like in the days of romans culture says express yourself and be whatever and whoever with whomever you want to be we are natural self-expressors culture tells you to celebrate whatever you are embrace what anyone tells you that you are and whoever you are you can't change that's a lie but god has made you for a purpose and plan but we have a problem we will all stand before god but here's the good news if you're in jesus christ he's flipped the equation amen He's flipped the equation. In Christ, you are triumphant. Let's go to Revelation chapter 15, verse 1. 
Then I saw a great and awe-inspiring sign in heaven. So the scene's in heaven again, before we get to the bowls. Seven angels with seven last plagues, for with them God's wrath will be completed. I also saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had won the victory over the beast, its image and its number of its name, were standing in the sea of glass with hearts from God. The scene is back in heaven just before the last seven judgments. We see God's throne, of, uh, we see God's throne on a uh, floor that's described like a sea of glass. And we've seen this before in other descriptions whenever we go to the throne in Revelation. Revelation 4, John saw a, a glass-like sea, but this time the floor in, in uh, Revelation chapter 15, the floor is described with a color that describes fire. So whatever this sea glass that is in front of the throne of Jesus in this vision, uh, it, it kind of, the color kind of shifts to whatever is going to be said. And we see it's described like fire, and fire is a symbol in the Bible that describes impending judgment. So we see those that are surrounding Jesus on the throne and surrounding him. And, and we see this, this image of fire, which is a precursor to the judgment that's going to happen. These people in this scene in Revelation chapter 14 are those who have been martyred during the tribulation. Those that have died for their faith during the great tribulation. But notice what it says here. It says, for those that were killed for their faith, they were killed by the Antichrist. Notice they are described as the one who had victory over the beast. The beast is the Antichrist. Notice this, the, the, the Antichrist will not die until Revelation chapter 20. I love this, is that they're in a scene before the throne of Jesus. The Antichrist is not yet dead, but yet his, his fate is so certain, they're beginning to talk in the past tense. The beast has been defeated. Church, when I read this, ooh, I got really excited. You wanna know why? Because too often we are speaking as if something hasn't happened yet, or maybe it will happen, right? But we need to be people that are past tense Christians, that God has made a promise in scripture, God said he's coming back through Jesus Christ, and we need to live it and speak it as if it's already happened, right? How many things do we have hanging over ourselves that we're like, I just don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know what's gonna be. God, I don't know if your promises are gonna be. We need to be past tense Christians. If you're praying for healing this morning, you may be praying for physical healing this morning. I don't know if God will physically heal you in this life. I pray, and you should pray your guts out that you'll be healed, but as you pray for your physical healing, I want you to know right now, you are a past tense Christian because when Jesus Christ indeed is coming back, and because Jesus Christ is indeed coming back you're going to get a glorified body you're going to be ultimately healed for every person that's died of cancer for every person that's died of a disease every person that's on their deathbed this morning you are a past tense christian in this god may heal you in this life but we will experience ultimate healing in heaven we need to start living this way church we need to pray for our redemption God, I pray for my redemption. I, I just, I just, I hope that you save me. You know, how many of you have, have prayed the sinner's prayer 15 times and you're hoping that you will be saved? I want you to know this right now. You are redeemed. Stop praying that, God, I hope that you'll save me. If you've asked Jesus Christ to be your savior, you could say, God Almighty, thank you that I'm a child of God. Thank you that I've been saved. Thank you that I have been redeemed we are past tense christians why because the future is sure i want my anxiety to go away listen your anxiety may be there you don't know what god's doing with your anxiety right now i pray that your anxiety can go away but i want you to know the bible says cast all your anxieties on him why because he cares for you he's you're not he's not gonna allow you to put your anxieties at his feet and say hmm, maybe tomorrow he's doing something with them now, listen, go to God knowing that he's already paid for it, he's already on the move, and he's making you just like him. Amen?
And that is exactly what we see here in Revelation. These martyred saints is like, the beast is dead. Well, he's still alive. It's so certain. And if you're a follower of Christ, we're not waiting for victory. Your victory is already yours. And that's why we can worship. That's why we can sing in victory. That's why we can sing all hail King Jesus. We're like, man, I hope the king comes through. That's why, we don't, that's why politics isn't our savior, right? We're like, well, voted for this person. Hope they do what they say, right? No, all hail King Jesus as he does what he says. He's gonna do it in power and he's given you his Holy Spirit to be his ambassadors as long as you live. And that's why we can worship uh, Revelation chapter 15, verse three. They sang the song of God's servant Moses and the song of the lamb. This is their song, a new song. Great and awe-inspiring are your works. Lord God, the Almighty, just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship before you because your righteous acts have been revealed. Hallelujah, right? If you're in Christ, you are already triumphant. You're already triumphant. We will stand before Christ. But secondly, if you're in Christ, you are already triumphant. But God has a purpose and we have a problem. So here's the third, here's the negative. But without Christ, you will face wrath. Revelation chapter 14, verse nine. And the third angel followed them and spoke with a loud voice. If anybody, excuse me, this is Revelation 15, nine, isn't it? Let me double check for you here. I may have this wrong on my notes. Oh, no, I, it's, it's correct. Okay, Revelation 14, 9. And another, I just didn't want you to write down the wrong verse. I'm like, what was he talking about? Revelation 14, 9. And another, a third angel followed them and spoke with a loud voice. If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, uh, he will drink the wine of God's wrath, which is poured in full strength into the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever, and there is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in its image or anyone who receives the mark of its name. Oh, yeah, we just talked about the mark of the beast, all right? This is lampooned in movies. Uh, people that get on the fringe, they, they think uh, barcodes on the back of cereal boxes are the mark of the beast, right? Um, those aren't the mark of the beast, okay? But, but the mark of the beast is real, all right? During the great tribulation, people will be required to worship the Antichrist, and they'll be required under the risk of death penalty, all right, to worship uh, the, the Antichrist. If, you know, if people want to worship Jesus, that is going to be treason to the, to the uh, Antichrist, and you'll be put to death. A way that people are authenticated by worshiping and following the Antichrist is they'll be given a mark on their forehand or their hands. Some people think these are microchips. Some people think uh, these could be a number of things. Whatever they are, they're used for commerce. You can't buy and sell goods. You can't buy food. You can't buy gasoline. You can't wear or your electricity for your electric car. You know, right? Like you can't you can't do any of that stuff without the mark of the beast. And the majority of the people then uh, getting this mark of the beast, they'll be like, "We're all in this together," <laughs> right? And and but they have this false security that because they're a majority with uh, the mark of the beast, that somehow they're on the right side of history. Oh man, I hate that term. By the way, you want to know what? It's not about the right side of history. It's, is it God's history? Right? And so, but people will think they're on the right side of history by the numbers and the majority, they'll think they're winning. But we see here, the wrath of God will be poured out on these followers. Anyone that's not following Christ is by default following the Antichrist. 
And the fate of their, of, of their life is described as hell. Now, we'll talk about hell in a few weeks, but notice the description we have today. Let me just say this. It's very, very real, and the, and the vision of it is very, very descriptive. Fire and sulfur we see that hell is described as. It speaks of the unbelievable pain that those who will go to hell will endure. And so we know that it's, it's, it's physical. We know that people are alert and they can feel pain. We notice it says smoke and torment that goes on forever. Uh, this shows that it's not just that you're alert in your punishment in hell, but the duration of it is forever. And by the way, uh, the, the idea of hell has been under such attack, even in evangelical churches. There's been a more recent popular notion that hell is not forever. Um, also, uh, also uh, you may have grown up in Catholic theology uh, where there's a term called purgatory. Some people are like, Andy, why don't you ever preach on purgatory? You know, where you die and you're not quite that bad, but you're not quite that good. So you go to purgatory to get cleansed and then maybe you can go to heaven, right? It's because purgatory is not in scripture, folks. It's, it's absent. It's not there. It was, a, it was a catechized theology made up by the Roman Catholic Church. And uh, I'm just being real with you guys, all right? And so I know, I know over half of you have a Catholic background and maybe a very recent Catholic background. Purgatory is not in the scriptures. Search your scriptures for it. For Bible Christians, it needs to be there, right? Uh, we, don't, we don't want to set any precedent where we're like, well, you know what? We, we had a meeting and we felt God lead us. And so this is a new theology. That's bad. It's bad under any circumstance. And so some people think that, you know, uh, there's a second chance in purgatory. That's not a concept that's in the Bible. You have some evangelicals that say that when you die, you're alienated. Uh, you're you're uh, annihilated, excuse me. And annihilation is that you die, you don't go to heaven, but you're just gone, all right? Uh, that you cease to exist. But notice verse 11, it points out that hell is eternal punishment. That is not, again, uh, being annihilated uh, and not experiencing hell is, again, not in the Bible, uh, sometimes people will try to come up with these new theologies to try to make the Bible um, uh, a bit more culturally palatable. We don't need to help out God, okay? Did you know that? We don't need to help out God. Uh, God uh, God's got it, and we need to be his followers, all right? And so hell is, is an, uh, it's hard. It's a hard thing. We shouldn't be excited about this. We shouldn't uh, preach hellfire and brimstone. Someone should be like, you're going to go to hell. Like, that's a bad thing. We should weep. Uh, we should cry for anybody that would be destined for there. It should be our motivation, uh, part of our motivation to love people because we want to we love them into heaven. We want to rob hell, all right? Kenosha City Church, let's rob hell and populate heaven through the gospel of Jesus Christ, Amen. Hell is real, and that's why we have an urgency in mission to see people come to know Jesus in a personal way. Anyone and everyone who receives Jesus gets Jesus, and grace is extended. That is, you, the favor of God is extended to anyone who receives Jesus Christ. You are not, uh, you're, you're not outside the realm of his grace. I don't know what's in your background. I don't know what has gone on in your life, but God does, and he died for you. Elon Musk, oh, he's an interesting one, isn't he? Every day he puts out an interesting tweet, all right, or an interesting uh, Facebook post, all right? Uh, he, he, put a, he put one out a couple, uh, couple weeks ago, and uh, it, it was, it was kind of crazy. He said, hey, if I disappear under weird circumstances, it's, it's been nice knowing you. And people are like, crud, what's he talking about, right? Um, anyway, he just does stuff like that. We don't know why, right? Um, but anyway, People began to post like crazy. Like one guy's like, hey, if you disappear, can, can you give me Twitter? And he's like, sure. He like responded, sure. And I'm like, oh, this guy's a joker. But people began to preach to him. Muslims began to preach to him saying, you need to, you need to turn to Allah. People started preaching to him the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm like, man, this is really interesting. And he responded to one. And this was his response. He goes, thank you for the blessing. 
but I'm okay with going to hell, if that's indeed my destination, since the vast majority of all humans ever born will be there. Whew, right? And so I responded to him. He never responded, and no one really saw it. But, uh, but I responded to him, and my response was this. Since when do you do what the majority of people do? You put rockets into space. You want to colonize Mars. But you want to do what everybody else is doing according to your own words with hell? Anyway, we'll see. We'll see if he responds to that. But yeah, that's, that's what we think. We think hell is like some kind of party. We'll get more into that in a couple of weeks, but it's not. It's an awful, awful place that we should not be crass with. That's why when people use the phrase hell as an expletive, it, you shouldn't do it. You want to know why? It doesn't mean that you lost your salvation. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person uh, in the sense of, of, of uh, societally or whatever. Um, you know, we all need Jesus without that we're bad, right? Uh, but but it, what it means is this, is that you're taking the seriousness of hell and you're making it into something as a byword. If, if hell is in your vernacular as an expletive, get rid of it and start preaching heaven, okay? So hell is a real place, and so the question is, how will you stand? How will you stand? After the pause of the scene of Revelation 14 and 15, as, as, as uh, John is seeing what's about to take place, we, now he begins to see a vision of the most severe punishment and wrath during the tribulation. It's called the bull judgments. Revelation chapter 16. Then I heard a loud voice in the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first went and poured out his bowl on the earth and severely painful sores broke out in the people who had the mark of the beast who worshiped its image. All right, so we see here the bowl judgments. These are, these are like little saucers that are being depicted and it's not like a little like, I'm gonna sprinkle judgment. No, it's like, boop, it's like this, all right? It's all at once. And in these bold judgments, it affects the rest of the world. These, at the conclusion of the bold judgments, it will be the end. People will face judgment. Heaven and hell will commence. That's why we're getting into some heavy stuff in the weeks to come here. And so we see here in the first bold judgment, people are stricken with sores. Have you ever had an itch where it just wouldn't go away? All right. Maybe some of you haven't. I remember when my wife was pregnant with all three of our kids, she had uh, congestion. How do you say that? Cholestasis. Yeah, so cholestasis is where the liver begins to attack the child and it begins to uh, uh, create situations where I also would just itch yourself to almost bleed. It wouldn't stop. It was awful. She had to take medicine for it. Uh, it, was, it created high-risk pre- pregnancies. And, um, and, and I just remember just feeling so bad because she would just be itching and itching and itching all over the place. And, and here's the deal. This, this is, is like way beyond that, what we're seeing here in the first bowl, is that people are going to have these open sores where whatever they do, they can't get rid of the pain. They're going to be in just constant pain and misery after the first bowl. Uh, some people speculate uh, that these sores are in relation, uh, a bodily reaction to the mark of the beast. All right? So everybody that gets, gets these sores are people that follow the beast. How is that? It may be in relation to whatever the mark of the beast is. So if it's a microchip or if it's whatever, again, we're speculating, it could be a bodily reaction to that. Second bowl, verse 3 of Revelation 16, verse 3. The second bowl poured out uh, his bowl into the sea, turned to blood like that of a dead person, and all life in the sea died. So where we saw in previous judgments where uh, the seas were locally uh, affected, we see a worldwide death of the oceans. The world's oceans are destroyed and billions upon billions of marine life will die, creating such a stench and, and the consistency of the water changing. The third bowl. By the way, that's going to change things meteorologically, okay? Uh, that's going to change things with the weather. All right, third bowl. 
Verse 4, the third, bowl, the third poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of the water, and they became like blood. I heard the angel of the water say, you are just the holy one who is and who was because you have passed judgment on these things because they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets. You have given them blood to drink and they deserve it. I heard the altar say, yes, Lord, God, the almighty, true and just are your judgments. The third bowl, the, the third bowl just as the oceans were taken out, will now take out all the freshwater tributaries, the rivers, the lakes of the world, all of them. And this will, uh, this again will turn the, this water red. Uh, it, will, uh, it will make water, fresh water, the most expensive commodity on planet Earth. The fourth bowl, verse 8, the fourth bowl poured out, or the, the fourth poured out his bowl on the, on the sun. It was allowed to scorch people with fire, and the people were scorched with intense heat. So they blasphemed the name of God, who is the power of these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. Some speculate this is now a judgment against the cosmos. Some speculate that uh, it will be great uh, sunspots and storms that will, that will change the heat of the earth. Some believe that whatever the, bo- the bowl is being poured on the sun, it may create uh, the, the, the sun to go into its death phase, where and, and through uh, a supernatural uh, uh, power, the sun will go through a death phase rapidly, where it began to expand and swallow up planets. I don't know. It's speculation, but it's bad. And talk about global warming, right? Global warming is assured right here. This will surely melt the polar ice caps. Uh, all the green initiatives will come to nothing. People's Priuses will be swept uh, into the coasts uh, as, as the water rises. Uh, you think that after the fourth bowl, uh, that people would say, okay, God, I've had enough. You'd think that, wouldn't you? I imagine some people will, but the far majority, instead of saying, God, we need you, they will curse God and say, how dare you? They will shake their fist at God and say, why? We see this. They did not repent or give him glory. They blamed God. Why do people blame God in their mess? I don't know. It's the natural thing to do. But when we're in a mess, it's to realize, guess what, God? I'm not in control. This world is broken. I need you. That is our response. But often our natural response is to run him and blame him. The fourth or the fifth bowl, verse 10, the fifth bowl poured, uh, the fifth poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. And his kingdom was plunged in the darkness. People gnawed their tongues because of their pain and blasphemed the God of the heaven because of their pains and sores, but they did not repent. And so we see here the Antichrist kingdom is beginning to collapse. Uh, the, the Antichrist thinks he's large, he's in charge, and, and, but he's got another thing coming, all right? He's got nothing coming for him. His kingdom is plunged into darkness. And it's a, it's a reminder that our God reigns. Our God reigns forevermore. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. The people with swords, they they still won't recognize God. They look to their Savior who has fallen. Church, we must understand, earthly kings, kingdoms, and cultures, and strongholds may seem like they're in charge, and God, where is he? They may seem like there is no need for God. We have may felt like that. There are times that there is no need for God. But this is a reminder to us that our God reigns forever and ever. Nothing supersedes his throne. He is not out of charge. He is looking on and he will strike and he will come at the right opportune time. The reason why we do not have, the reason why we do not have uh, uh, Jesus Christ coming back yet is I believe it's his mercy. He wants to see people that have not yet given their life to Christ to receive 
Christ. We need to follow him. Is Jesus your king? Are you submitting to Jesus in every area of your life, every area of your thought life, every area of your actions, every area of your ambitions? Are you submitting to him this morning? He is king, and it's a privilege to follow him. It's a privilege. It's not something I have to be scared to do. It is a privilege. The sixth bowl, verse 12, the sixth, uh, the sixth poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and the water dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming up from the dragon's mouth, from the beast's mouth, from the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the demonic spirits performing signs who travel to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle on the great day of God, the Almighty. Look, I am coming like a thief, Jesus said. Blessed is the one who is alert and remains clothed so he may not go around naked and people see his shame. So they assembled the kings at the place and called in Hebrew Armageddon. This is something we'll talk about in the weeks to come. We will give Armageddon a little bit more of a treatment. But where is Armageddon at? It is at the end of the last bold judgments. And we see all the kings, all the armies are are coming into one spot. Many theologians believe 60 miles north of Jerusalem. Uh, In the Bible, 200 battles are fought on this field. And the last battle of the world will be fought in this field. They're going to attempt to take on the people of God. They're going to try to attempt to overthrow the lordship of Jesus Christ. But this battle will be over quickly. Why? Because we see here, the Lord comes like a thief. Like a thief in the night, our Lord God will come. Our God is not absent. He is active and he's alive and he is here. He knows exactly what you're going through. Our God will come like a thief in the night and that is why there is urgency. And that's why when it seems like where God are you, he is there and he is going to win. We are past tense Christians, amen? Remember one time someone was vandalizing our house and my dad I love my dad. He's like 100. He's like me times 100. So he's, 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 he's a wild man, all right? So, uh, but one of the things my dad did, he was so sick and tired of people vandalizing the house that he set up this little bell. Uh, he had this like little like bell. Uh, I think it was one of my mom's like decorative bells. So maybe he wasn't supposed to do this. But anyway, so there's this bell that he, that he put on a little stand. He slept on the couch. He tied up fishing line around this bell. He put it outside to create trip wires and tied it around the basketball hoop. And guess what happened? That night, whoever came to vandalize our house, they tripped over the, the, uh, the, the fishing line, knocked over the bell. My dad ran outside at 3 in the morning. Hey, you! And he caught him. Oh, yeah, he caught him. Here's the deal. We're not going to be able to put fishing lines up and saying, oh yeah, we caught God like a thief in the night. The way to be ready is to be ready, to obey his word, to be the people of God, to be the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Life is too short and the stakes are too high to know what we know and do nothing for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is for the advancement of the gospel. When we forget about that, we have lost everything. The seventh bowl, verse 17. And the seventh poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. There were flashes of lightning, rumbles, and peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake occurred like no other since people had been on the earth. So great was the quake. The great city split into three parts. The cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered in God's presence. He gave her the cup filled with wine of his fierce anger. Every island fled and the mountains disappeared. Enormous hailstones, each weighing about 100 pounds, fell from the sky on people, and they blasphemed God for the plague of hail because the plague was extremely severe. The world's armies assembled into one place are destroyed 
in one moment. The Battle of Armageddon, we usually like make movies out of this or people talk about it's gonna be this fierce battle. It's not. God shows up and it's over. It's over. He says this in verse 17. It is done. It resembles what Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. We don't have to doubt what Jesus is gonna do. But when Jesus said it's gonna happen, it's going to happen. And this is the last act of the seven-year tribulation that will set in the motion what we will talk about next, next week. It'll set in the motion our eternities. So my question to you this morning, Kenosha City Church and everybody online, are you ready? Are you ready? Do not be entangled with civilian affairs but seek to please, seek to please our chief commander, the chief commander, the Lord of the armies, the one who shows up to the battle and it's already won. That's King Jesus. All hail King Jesus. Amen, church? So this is what we're gonna do. We are going to ask God to search our minds Search our hearts, search every aspect of us and say, God, am I ready for your second coming? Am I ready? We're also gonna ask him to make you prepared because if God doesn't come, if Jesus doesn't come back in our lifetime, that's okay, we'll go to meet with him for that. But we have a mission every single day of our life. We have a mission. And so God, prepare me for that mission. So what is, what is a hindrance in our mind or in our heart? And God, am I living every moment for you? All right, let's pray. And I'm just gonna ask you, God, search our hearts. God, search our ways. Just ask him, talk to him. Search our hearts, oh God. Spend some time with him. Just wait on him. Lord Jesus, you know that you're near the brokenhearted. You're near those who are doubting you. You're near those that are having an awesome time. But God, no matter our circumstances, God, whatever's in our hearts and our minds, we give to you. You are our king. You're our leader. You are victorious. You have a plan. Our fleshly hearts have a problem. And God, I pray you would realign our hearts with your kingdom. You'd realign our hearts with your ways and that we'd be Jesus people, biblical people, spirit-filled people. Whatever it is, God, we lay at your throne. We lay at your throne right now. As we continue to pray, if there's, and just continue to pray, okay? Every head's bowed, eyes closed, just continue to pray. But if there's anybody in this room right now you know you don't have a personal relationship with God. That whole, the whole title of this series is called, Are You Ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? 
Are you ready to stand before Jesus? Are you ready right now to be the hands and feet of Jesus? The only way that you can be ready is if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Have you personally placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Or do you just know about him? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but has everlasting life. For God did not come into this world to condemn this world, but to save it through his son. For by grace that you've been saved, through faith, not of works, so that no one can boast. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead, you'll be saved. For all those who cry out in the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, today God has been chasing you. He's been, he, he's been going after you. And today you're here to make this personal. If you've never personally asked Jesus to save you from your sins, if you've never asked Jesus to forgive you, if you've never placed your faith and trust in him alone, you need to do that right now. Because without that, you stand under God's wrath. But when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you're forgiven in full. The debt is paid. It is finished. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, if that's you today, you want to make certain that you have a relationship with Jesus, that you're going to heaven. You want the forgiveness of Jesus. You want to place your faith and trust in Christ alone. If that's you today, with no one looking around, we just slip up your hand and say, yep, that's me. That's me. Thank you. That's me. Just raise your hand up high. Let me see you. That's me. I want to place my faith and trust in Christ alone. Anybody else? Anybody else? Today's your day. Today's the day of your salvation. You want to place your faith and trust. Thank you. I see you. That's awesome. People are making decisions in this room that's not only going to change the trajectory of this life, but eternal life. Because once you got Jesus... You got God because Jesus is God. And he no longer sees you for any of your sins. They're cast at the bottom of the sea and remembered no more. He sees his righteousness on you. So Lord Jesus, I pray for those today that are placing their faith and trust in you. We just pray with me. Just pray together as a church for those that are saying yes to Jesus. This prayer doesn't save you. I'm just helping people pray to Jesus. Let's just pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for making me. I realize I've done wrong. And I need you because there's nothing that I can do to save myself. So thank you for Jesus, for dying on the cross, paying for my sins, raising from the dead. I receive your forgiveness now. 
Help me follow you with all of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, when just one person gives their life to Christ, the angels in heaven are having a party, and they're having a party right now. Let's join in that party right now and saying, yes, King Jesus, thank you that you bring us from death and to life. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.